It's all about kicking back, relaxing, and enjoying the show. Take the time out of your day to listen to new music and the new sound of radio. Tune in every day, all day, for the greatest hits, latest news, and community events that you can be a part of. MoncoRadio.com, where music and minds meet. Hi everybody, it's Gene Simmons. You're listening to The Kiss Room on Monco Radio, but you knew that. High-spirited kids, that's what I see. They're just reflecting the spirit of the park, that's all. We've got the rise, the attractions, and we've got Kiss. That opening concert tonight is going to put us on the map once and for all, Sneed. It's an amusement park. Look, all they come to see are their heroes. Get with it, Sneed. They even gave themselves a name. They call themselves the Kiss Army. You wanted the best and you got it! The hottest band in the land! Army, you wanted the best and you got the best. I am Matt Porter bringing you a bonus edition of the Kiss Room, which you might be listening to via the podcast, which was originally broadcast on Monco Radio via Time Bomb Radio, which features Candy's Kiss Corner. So it's an all star super group, and I am joined by the host of Candy's Kiss Corner, Candy Burton. Candy, welcome back to the Kiss Room. Oh, thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Always a pleasure to be here. So recently you hosted a fantastic chat on your show, which with John from Time Bomb Radio and me and the commander of the KISS Army himself, Mr. Bill Starkey. And it's such a fun conversation that I wanted to share it on in the KISS room. Can you give everybody a preview of what we're going to hear? Yeah, sure. Well, first of all, I'm honored and thrilled that you want to feature this on your show because you know how much I look up to you and what you do. So. Um, but no, it was a really cool interview. Um, it was supposed to be sort of like a birthday bash thing. Cause I hit a milestone a couple weeks ago. Um, and, uh, it was originally just supposed to be you and John, but I figured, okay, I'm going to reach out to Bill and see if he wants to jump on and help me celebrate my birthday and hopefully, you know, surprise you guys as well. Um, but it was a really cool, uh, conversation we had. So it was just all things kiss and more importantly, uh, you know, kind of how the KISS Army got started and, um, you know, Bill's personal history. So, uh, you know, he shared some really neat stories and uh, we had a really fun conversation. I will give one small spoiler, though, because I have to say this here in the KISS room. Um, I was especially thrilled to hear Bill say how much of a fan he was of you and your show. Like, how <laughs> awesome is that? Yeah, that's pretty great. <laughs> So, I mean, really, obviously, like you just said, the stories that he shares are fantastic. He's a very good speaker, and it was just a joy to speak with him about his roots as a KISS fan and really to spend time with you and John. And, of course, anybody listening to this can tune in every Saturday morning at 9 o'clock EST, if you will, for Time Bomb Radio. Features Candy's Kiss Corner around 10 a.m. It's a great time. You can go to moncoradio.com as you would for a live Kiss Room. Every Saturday, you got Time Bomb Radio via Monco Radio. And let's jump into this. Candy, any last-minute words before we jump in? 
Uh, just, uh, you know, to you, Matt, I really appreciate you coming on and uh, and helping me out with this uh, interview. Of course, uh, you know, shout out to John Weinberger, my powerful and attractive co-host. Uh, it's so much fun working with him every week. And I'm so glad that you told me to call into his show that day, Matt, because um, look, look, look what came about. You know what I mean? Like, this is really awesome. Um, and finally, uh, you know, of course, shout out to Bill Starkey. Uh, you know, it's always a pleasure speaking with him. Um, he's such a really, you know, down to earth kind of guy. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm so happy that he could jump on and, and help me celebrate my birthday. And I'm really thrilled to, you know, have him share all those awesome stories from like way back in the day. It was really awesome for him to do that. And, uh, you know, everyone that, you know, tunes into my show every week, shout out to you guys. If it weren't for you guys, we would have no show. So it's awesome. Thank you so much. And without further ado or further ado, take it away, Candy. All right, guys. Welcome to another very special edition of Candy's Kiss Corner here on Time Bomb Radio. We are celebrating a milestone birthday today. We'll let you know who it is in just a second. But joining me today, my powerful and attractive co-host, John Weinberger. Hello. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. <laughs> and welcoming back here to Candy's Kiss Corner, the always powerful and attractive host with the most of the Kiss Room, Mr. Matt Porter. Hi, Candy. Hi, John. Hey, Matt. How are you, sir? And joining us for the very first time here on Candy's Kiss Corner, we're so excited, the one and only General of the Kiss Army, Bill Starkey. Welcome to Candy's Kiss Corner. Woo! Hey, Woo! my pleasure all right so as i mentioned guys we are celebrating a milestone birthday uh any idea on who that might be guys mm. <laughs> happy birthday oh, to you happy, happy birthday, birthday to you, you. happy birthday, birthday dear candy happy birthday to Wow. Oh, you guys are awesome. Woo! And many Love more. You, you know, I couldn't think of, yeah, and many more. Please, and many more. Uh, I couldn't think of a better way to celebrate than to have three of you, all three of you here celebrating with me. This is awesome. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm always happy to be working with you, Kenny, and talking. Well, you know, again, we got to give credit to uh, to Matt for getting us acquainted back in January, you know? Yeah, I mean, that seems so long ago, though, you know? know. It's, it's like ancient history. <laughs> I know, but time but, flies. We've been but, having such a great time doing this, you know? But, you know, I'll, maybe I'll mention it later in the show, because, but my getting reintegrated back into the kiss fold has sparked some great imagination. I mean, I've had weird dreams. Like I, no, I'll tell you now, I had a dream the other night that I was hanging out with Gene Simmons. Ooh, nice. <laughs> Unmasked. And we, Unmasked. We, we, yeah. And we were talking about the show and he was like, so into it. And I'm like, Gene, can you come on? Or something? And then the cloud, <laughs> the cloud disappeared and I woke up. Oh, <laughs> uh, darn. <laughs> well, you know, I think as, as you mentioned, kind of your kind of rebirth into the kiss army, we've got to salute Bill Starkey, the yes. founder of the kiss <laughs> army. Bill, it's amazing that you could join us. I'm, Proud to be here. It's just one of those moments when I happen to be around and Candy reached out to me and I thought, hey, let's give this a shot. Oh, Bill, we love you. Thank you. Yeah, thank We're you bowing much. down to you as we speak. No, sir. no, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's going too far out there. Oh, come on. 
Um, all right. Well, Bill, first off, we want to get uh, your personal history here on uh, Candy's Kiss Corner. So, like, how did you first discover Kiss back in the day? Well, I was sitting at my breakfast table, and there was a newspaper uh, supplement to the TV section for our for the TVs on our newspaper. And I hope, happened to open it up, and there was a picture of Gene. And it said that Kiss would be appearing on um, Don Kirshner, I believe, that Friday night with Foghat. Well, of course, that picture was just alone was just enough to shock you. And I, I, it did catch my attention. I remembered, though, that I would eventually would stay up that night just to watch Foghat. And that's when I saw Kiss on television. And that kind of started it. And I was so blown away by them. I thought that they were an English band because of the glitter rock thing, the heels and all that. And um, that was my first exposure to them. And my dad was an expediter for Columbia Records at the time. And most of the records or most of the vinyl in the country was pressed, believe it or not, in Terre Haute, Indiana, back in the 70s. And occasionally my dad would bring home records if I wanted stuff because that's was like his one of the perks of his job he was an expediter which was just a fancy word for a warehouse guy that shipped out records he just happened to be on the Warner Brothers account and Warner Brothers was the people that shipped out Casablanca because Casablanca was so new that they couldn't handle it on their own so I asked for the first couple of albums and um, uh, my dad got them for me and my co-creator Mr. Jay Evans who also turned me on to a lot of music and was my classmate in school he had them too so we were we were Kiss fans early on now oh, I cool yeah and um eventually my my dad uh my I had pretty cool parents my parents were um they were somewhat strict but they wanted to know exactly what I was doing and who were you know where I was was that and all that. I mean I could have friends over but they had to be in my basement and they knew you know what was going on in my basement or whatever so eventually we started the Kiss Army in that basement so um, um, I had my dad had um, one of the other perks was he would get come across concert tickets originally since Deep Purple uh, worked for what was was you know on the Warner Brothers label Dad wanted me to go to my first concert. He suggested it be Deep Purple here in Market Square Arena. And he beat around the bush, and uh, the Deep Purple show sold out. And then he said, well, you know, I know you like this Kiss band. He goes, but he always teased me about Kiss because he talked to their people a lot, the Casablanca people, and he, they would tell him that, you know, Kiss toured like crazy, but it wasn't generating any, any um, album sales. And of course, my dad knew that because – it would be his job to sell, you know, to push the albums and then have them manufactured and then sending them back out, you know, for distribution. So my dad would tease me and he'd say, yeah, your band is still plugging away, he said, but um, they don't sell records. And, and, you know, and then, of course, he would try to convince me whose records he thought I should be listening to, which didn't influence me at all. Um, so in December 8th of 74, my dad took me and my younger brother to Evansville to see Kiss and I, they were, uh, they were an opening act between, I think it was Point Blank and ZZ Top, and oh, wow. they, they blew me away, and um, they actually impressed my dad a lot, who really wasn't into metal at all, but he liked Kiss's enthusiasm, he liked 
how they interacted the crowd with what they were doing. And my dad kind of described it almost like a high school basketball atmosphere, which is big here in Indiana, high school basketball, because of the devotion, the atmosphere, and the, and the hysteria that goes with it. So I came back from Evansville that night, and here I'm getting on the school bus with my buddy Jay, and I said, Jay, I saw Kiss last night, it was my, my, you know, and, and they were incredible. I said, you wouldn't believe how much different they are than live compared to the first two albums. And of course, Jay's good response was, well, yeah, Bill, but who else have you seen? This is your first concert. And I said, yeah, yeah, you, you're probably right. You know, so three weeks later, my dad was teasing my mom and he says, Jane, he was reading, we read the Indianapolis paper a lot, even though we lived in Terre Haute. And in the Indianapolis paper, it had an advertisement for Christmas Jam. And Kiss was one of the acts with Christmas Jam with Rush and, head, and the headliner was Ario Speedwagon. And my dad kind of teased my mom. He says, you know, you ought to go to go to this rock concert, take the boys and, and see Kiss because um, you won't you won't be disappointed. And plus, it was, to him, it was almost like an educational thing. I think my parents associated rock concerts with heavy drug use and violence and stuff like that. And they found, <laughs> and they found that to be none of that. If anything, a lot of people high was actually the mellowest you could ever have, you know. So my mom decided to go, and this was from December 8th to the 28th. And the bad thing is the show started at 5 in the, after, in the evening. Kiss didn't come on till well after midnight. They, they didn't come on until after the headliner left Ariel Speedwagon. So as when Speedwagon played, everybody left the arena, and it was, it was um, empty practically. And um, even though the guy in Ariel Speedwagon said, you know, stay tuned for Kiss or whatever, my mom was furious because we had already been there since five o'clock sitting through all these bands. Rush didn't show. There was a band called Hydra. There was a band called Quicksilver Messenger Service. None of these bands were anybody you'd want to remember, but they were bands at the time in 1974. And Kiss again came out and just kicked ass. And here I'm on the bus the next morning to Jay. And I said, Jay, saw my second Kiss show. I'm telling you, they're the real deal. So eventually the wheels started turning and um, back in those days you had what was called the request line where you could call into the FM radio station and request music and our one and only radio station at that time was WVTS FM and they would just politely say that they you know they'd listen to our request but they wouldn't you know they wouldn't fulfill it and then eventually, and this was, I think this was more or less Jay's idea because he did more calling in to requests than I did. Um, you know, I was happy just staying at home playing my records. I didn't, you know, whether or not I made the radio, I didn't, I didn't care. But back in those days, though, when you went to high school, your devotion to your rock band was a lot like your devotion to a sports team. And our classmates would tease us and say, you know, kiss, kiss, or if they're so great, why aren't they on the radio? And that really hurt because here I was telling them that what I had seen was really good, but, you know, they weren't on the radio. And we had acts that came to Terre Haute, the Eagles, the Doobie Brothers, Chicago, Sly and the Family Stone, and they all did well, but only at that time, only one performer filled the arena and sold the place out, and that was Elvis in May of 75. And so Jay and I continued to badger the radio station writing threatening letters and just doing it in a, in a humorous way saying, you know, play Kiss or else. 
And this went on for a long time until, um, oddly enough, in September, Kiss Alive came out, and that helped us. And then another local radio station, WPFR, showed up, and they started playing some Kiss tunes, but PFR didn't have the clout that BTS had because they were so new. So Kiss Alive comes out in September 75. Here I am. Um, no job. Jay's getting ready to start college. So he's trying to think about, you know, what does he need to do? You know, because the kiss thing is, you know, it's, it's fun and all that, but it's just, a, it's just a thing to keep a couple of Wayne's world kind of, kind of guys entertained in a basement over the summer, you know? And, and so kiss alive starts doing well. And WBTS was still playing jokes with us. Like they play love theme from kiss or they'd play, uh, strutter and then they wouldn't say who it was and they would do it just to agitate us you know and, and then eventually they told us that the program director didn't like kiss he thought they were a quote-unquote New York fag band or more mediocre than Bachman Turner Overdrive well you know then then that was those were fighting words so the letters kept going and then eventually for some strange reason kiss announced that in September they were coming to Terre Haute in November and the timing was perfect and so the program director decided to make amends and they started eventually playing the band they even called me up to tell me to that i could bring my records down to the studio so they could make copies and i asked why and they said well because we burned all of our kiss records because we just you know the program director didn't like them well the program director was he was a very talented brilliant guy still is uh, by the name of rich dickerson and Rich got a hold of me and he said, you know, those crazy letters you guys wrote all during the summer of 75, how about if you start writing some of them like two weeks before the show, before the concert in Terre Haute, and we'll read them on the letter, we'll read them over the air and call it the Kiss Army Letter of the Day during 5 p.m. during rush hour. And I had a blast doing it because I could write anything I wanted. Now, the bad thing was is, Rich was a very, very uh, humorous guy, too. Like I said, he was doing Howard Stern trash radio before Howard Stern was. So Rich always got the last word in on the Kiss Army letter of the day, and so then I would have to come back with the next letter. And it got to the point where I was even blasting the Beatles and Led Zeppelin and all that and declaring how great Kiss was. Eventually, the Kiss show sells out. And one night, um, we were... I had these group of kids and we used to paint them up as, as KISS and we would take them through our one and only mall and I called them the unknown soldiers of the KISS army. And Jay and I just paraded them through the mall just, just to sit and laugh and watch people's reaction to the, to the, to the guys. Well, we decided to go by the WBTS that night and, the, and Rich's, Rich's um, wife was excited and she opened up the door and she says, KISS found out what you guys are doing. The concert is sold out and they wanna meet you guys. And I was so floored because we really didn't want to meet Kiss. They were kind of dark, and there, there was just something about them that we weren't sure about. So what had happened was the show had sold out. Other bands, like I said, the Doobie Brothers and the Eagles, didn't sell out. Kiss's people, the coin management, were that smart to say, listen, what, are you guys, what did you guys do differently for Kiss that you didn't do for the Eagles? And all they could come up with, they said, this idiot kid in his basement was writing letters and calling themselves <laughs> Kiss Army. And they said, we want to meet this guy. And that's, that's where 
it ended, you know, or at least began. Now, look, are, is there any chance that any recordings of those on-air broadcasts where he was reading your letters, is there any chance there's recordings of those that exist? No. Unfortunately, oh. Unless, oh. unless Rich has them himself. Um, the funny thing, the cool thing about his Rich is he just retired a couple years ago. He ended up becoming the love doctor on Port, in Port St. Lucie, Florida, whereby which you called in to Rich and he gave you advice. And it was so funny that Kiss fans would call in to, because they knew who he was and Rich would get, get upset and say, hey, don't tell me about Kiss. I know all about it. I started the Kiss Army. And, and, and Rich just recently retired. Now, he may have had something like that, but he's not let me know about it. But he always, you know, he, we, he's a great guy, and we've talked since then, and he always tells people that he humored us. And then he may have, but he had us convinced that it was a war between us and WBTS. But none of that stuff exists. The only thing I do have is I do have the radio conversation that um, one of the tricks they did was Kiss came on the day before, the day of the concert, Kiss came to the WBTS studios and played disc jockey for a while, and the mayor gave them the key to the city that day. I have all that on audio. You can find it on YouTube. And if you see on my Facebook page, those pictures, that's of me in the recording studio with the band and Rich. So, you know, there was a lot of pictures taken. And I think one of the things I really regret, Matt, is we in high school produced the first, mass produced the first KISS t-shirt because we mm -hmm. were upset that I'd seen three KISS shows and there were no KISS shirts. Now, we saw the Roadies Head shirts, but we never, there was nothing for sale. There, there wasn't even a program back then in 70, April 75, my, my third show. So we got a guy in the print shop, Rob Smith, who printed out our own shirts. And we would predict, we would find out which days we would wear them at school together. Again, just to agitate our classmates who always used to say KISS sucks. <laughs> kiss my ass. And again, they'd say, well, if they're so good, why aren't they on the radio? You know, Leonard Skinner is, Aerosmith is. Those were the bands that we were always compared to because those were the bands getting the airplay. So I wished we'd kept at least one of those um, mass-produced kiss shirts because as far as I know, we were the only ones doing it. Wow. Wow. You know, and see, that's a good point. You're talking this November 21st this year marks 45 years, if my math is right. Now, I'm not good in math, but this year's 45 <laughs> years, right? That's, that's, that's it, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Now, there's got to be some way, like, as KISS fans, we need to really commemorate 45 years because that's quite a milestone. And when you think about it, hearing, like, I love hearing you tell that story of how it was a grassroots thing that grew into something so huge. And when you look around today, you see people with that, you know, the KISS Army shield tattooed on their arms and, you know, things like that. That's got to be, it's just an amazing kind of legacy of KISS fans that has never ended and will never end. And I think, you know, it's, it's, I always think it's so exciting because that kind of thing that you were doing, you know, it's something that won't happen again. Like everything is so kind of saturated. That idea of kind of hitting one little radio station and it really just exploding into that sold out show really it's it really is such a great story and it, you know almost it reminds you of like Detroit Rock City movie or whatever it, it sounds like a movie it's like so much fun and even the way you describe yourself as like you know Wayne's World in the basement it just it's, it's <laughs> romantic kind of nostalgic 
kind of happening event. I love that. I actually, I loved hearing you tell that story. So. Well, and you can imagine how awkward I felt for, for a while, like during the 90s, when all of a sudden the, you were getting like a resurrection of the Kiss Army story, but you were getting this stuff about kids surrounding the radio station. And I was put <laughs> in kind of an awkward situation. And even Rich Dickerson and I got in it, uh, got in a little conversation about it. And I said, Rich, I said, you know what they're saying? They're saying that kids surround the radio station. Rich goes, I like it. I like it. Keep it that way. And I said, I said, yeah, I, I know, Rich, it sounds really great, but it really didn't happen like that. And I said, I owe it to too many other people to tell the true story about it because I don't want to be painted in that kind of a situation where by which, you know, people are saying, well, he also said this and said that. I felt the story was pure and honest and good on its own and could stand on its own. Even if you weren't a KISS fan, you could be a 70s rock fan because we were two kids in a basement in Terre Haute, Indiana. <laughs> and it had become world famous. We had no intention of being like that. Having So to me, this, you're right. To me, it is a Hollywood script because not only that, can you imagine the revenge I got when all that crap I took through my senior year of high school and Jay did too about KISS, that was from what, from like December to May. Kiss shows up in November, invites me up on stage in front of a standing room sellout crowd to give me a plaque for starting the Kiss Army. And most of the people that gave me were right there in the stands. You can't write this script. <laughs> I can think of those photos. There's that photo where you're standing like right next to the the band holding your plaque. Yeah. That looks that would be the last scene in the movie. And you <laughs> might even throw middle fingers up to those people in the front row who had given oh, you yeah. a hard time. <laughs> like I said, the, the the story is pure and as honest as it can be. And Jake could if Jake could, would say the same thing, and so were the other people that were involved there. It was just one of those things. It, the, the Kiss Army, I mean, we didn't really start like like a some people thought it was it was Chinese water torture. It was a slow, <laughs> torturous process where we had to get our way over six, seven months. The Kiss Army Shield, as we know it, had you guys designed that prior to Kiss launching it? Like it, it appears on the Destroyer album in the way that we know it. And it's credited to, you know, obviously Dennis Wallach and, and Marks and, you know, the company and everything. Did you guys have an original version of that? Like who really created we, that shield? We had an original idea. And in the Wearing Abbott book, there's a picture of Jay holding the banner that we designed with me behind him and we were at the airport and it's in um the kiss the early years book you you'll probably see it and that was because because at the time i was in the impression i was going to work for kiss alan miller who was like in my opinion the number two person at a coin if not sean delaney alan was contacting me daily collect calls he had me convinced and he well i've got it in writing that he said that they wanted to set up the kiss army headquarters in Terre Haute, and they wanted me to run it so I was, you know, under the impression that I was working for the band. And I was a, also a sickly fan um, because I would have done anything for those guys. And after meeting them, I was even more motivated. Right. Um, but Ellen told us to come up with a banner. And what you see is the banner that's now in Jay's possession. And I've had people tease Jay and ask him if he'd ever part with it. I think at one time he joked and said he would if, if it would pay for his kid's college. But uh, <laughs> I talked about it and I said, no, you, just, you really need to hold on to that because Jay never really got a lot of 
canoes for the for the for the Kiss Army anyway, and and the the banner was was mainly, mainly his idea, along with it was probably also done in the print shop along with those T-shirts. So Jay's in possession of the banner. The guy that actually designed the the Kiss Army logo, yes, he worked for Howard Marks, and it's Vincent DiGiornardo, and you can find him on right. Facebook. But Vincent. I know there are some people to say that Dennis Wallach was taken. I don't, I've never met Dennis Wallach, but I know Vince reached out to me many years ago under those, under that, and he sent me a nice um, autograph picture and everything. And he says, if you're ever wondering who was behind the, the logo, I was. So as far as I'm concerned, he was the, the main guy behind it working on, with Howard Marks. And you know, it's, it's a great logo. I got to admit it beats ours. It's great. <laughs> Um, so as the general of the KISS Army, if you were to take a person, just any ordinary person, and want to turn them into a lifelong KISS fan, what album would you present to them right off the bat? KISS Alive. Nice. Mm. I think that's a, that's a go-to album for uh, for a lot of people, I think, eh? Yeah. It, there's a big difference. And don't get me wrong, I love the first three albums, but there's just something unusual about listening to them live under KISS Alive. And I mean... Again, asking me about my favorite album is almost like you would a parent about their favorite child, you know, because there's <laughs> yeah. different things I like about different, different, I mean, there's a darkness to Hotter Than Hell I like. There's a, there's a rock and rollish attitude about the first album that I like. There's, there's, a, there's a cool surprise element of Destroyer that I like. Um, there's an element of, of Revenge on the Revenge album I like because it kind of brought me back into the Kiss fold because... During the 80s, I wasn't that big of a fan once the makeup came off and members switched around. And it was hard for me to come up with the same excitement in the 80s that I had felt in the 70s. So the, the 80s period was kind of a, a different era for me. But for some fans, it was their era. So revenge kind of brought me back into the fold. All right, guys. So we're having a great time so far. We are going to take a short break, go to a couple songs. And when we come back, we're going to continue chatting with the one and only Bill Starkey and Matt and John. Stay tuned. On Marco Radio, where music and minds meet. But I'm bummed.
And we are back here on Candy's Kiss Corner, live on WXVU 89.1 FM, the voice of Villanova and MoncoRadio.com, where music and minds meet. <laughs> oh, having a great time here. We just heard King of the Nighttime World, and before that, my personal favorite, Psycho Circus. Oh, <laughs> I love it. That's, it's your birthday. You get to pick. <laughs> that's one that's of my favorites right, also. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We having a good time here chatting with Bill Starkey. Oh, boy. What a great way to celebrate my milestone birthday. I love it. 21, right? <laughs> yes. Let's, I, I 21 with nine years experience. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ever repeat that, gentlemen. Right. <laughs> well, it's on, it's right. on tape, so. <laughs> well, I mean. Digital tape. Let, let's get it out there then. And then, you know, that, that'll be the end of it. <laughs> oh, Bill. Uh, wow. We're, we're so honored to have you here. What else do you want to share with us? Anything on your mind? No. Um, no, not at all. I mean, I'm just happy to be here. I mean, it's uh, it's amazing that like Matt said, 45 years that people still are into the band and the, the, the fandom is just amazing. And it's such a diverse group of people too. Well, see, that's what I love about being a Kiss fan as opposed to being like an, like an Aerosmith fan or an ACDC fan. All of us, you know, here in the Kiss Army, we're such a close-knit group of people, even though we've a lot of us have never met in person. That's what I love about it. Mm. Yeah. Well, you know, you one, know? Of, one of the things that you mentioned earlier, Bill, where as you were going through like different albums and, you know, like this album felt this way and this album felt that way. And, I, and it really, in my mind, I think it's why they've succeeded for so long is because the albums were so different. You know, one day you might be into listening to The Elder and then the next day you're listening to Hotter Than Hell. And I think as a fan, you know, even when you had mentioned, you know, maybe in the 80s when the makeup came off, you had dropped off, maybe not being as big a fan. But you know what? For a lot of people, that's where they jumped in and, and it's, you know, but it's a different flavor. So you never get burned out on it because there's, you know, no matter what mood you're in, I think today I'm going to listen to Peter Chris 78 solo album and it sounds just as good as it always did. And I think, I think that to me is one of the keys is that you can kind of whatever mood you're into, you can throw on a kiss record. It's funny. We have the, some of the most successful kiss expos anywhere here are in Indianapolis here. Yes. My, uh, Steve Stearwalt and Keith LaRue, and um, they've been doing it for a long time, and it's always interesting that, well, of course, I'm always thankful to be a guest there, but talking just the fans, and everybody has a different story as to when they got into the band and what got them into the band, and it's always funny to hear these people's stories, and um, man, woman, they, they, it doesn't matter, you know, they bring their kids, and um, it's just it's just a very unique um fandom what's the craziest story you've ever heard because i'm sure over the years you've had so many people telling oh yeah i heard kiss here or i saw them there what, what's the craziest wow. story you've ever been told you know i don't know that there's crazy stories but i think the stories that always amaze me the most are the fans that travel to like tokyo and places like that to see kiss i mean can you imagine going to a country like that where your 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 language is not the primary language spoken but yet you still feel at home there. So I think those are the, the wild stories of the people that I know that travel, um, you know, to Tokyo or the Soviet Union or, or places like that, and they still feel like 
they're at home because they're at a KISS show. I think that's probably what, for me, <laughs> the only matter of fact, this is funny, Candy, the only place I've been to outside of the United States is Toronto. I've never Go been on. anywhere else. Yes, I've only, I'm, and that's because uh, the Indy 500 is big here in my neighborhood, and and the Indy cars come up to Toronto, and we decided to go up the north, cross through Detroit and to Toronto, and it was a wonderful experience. So that's the only place I've ever been to outside the United States is Toronto. So when these fans tell me, and some of them have been to Tokyo like two or three times, and um, it's just those are to me the, the, the wildest stories, you know. I mean, how far will people go to see the band? Right. Well, yeah, I mean, like you said, you said the indie uh, shows up here in Toronto, we have, well, it used to be the Molson Indie, and then they changed it to the Honda Indie, right? I've never been to yeah. one, so yeah. I don't really know. But They do a good job, and I can't believe Toronto is like, Toronto reminds me so much of Chicago, except it's just so much cleaner, and the people are nice, <laughs> and the funny thing is, is it just seems like here in, in the United States, business is pretty much shut down on Sunday, but in Toronto, they shut down on Saturday and Sunday. Mm -hmm. I thought was kind of neat. And, um, you know, it was just a really, I mean, again, maybe it's like seeing Kiss. I could see the indie cars, but then I just saw them in a different setting. You know what I thought was interesting? And when you were telling that story earlier of not even really wanting to meet Kiss because they seem kind of dark and maybe a little bit scary, is that now you have literally generations of people who are bringing their kids and Kiss really has become much more family entertainment. And I, I love that story that you told. And I think in some ways it does show the kind of really the transformation from scary rock band to really cultural icons. Yeah, the, um, I, I just, I, people, I always try to tell people that without, you know, being cynical about it, but, some, but there was something cool about being in the 70s and seeing rock groups. When you had festival seating, there was no internet, there was no cell phones. The shock factor of seeing somebody like an Alice Cooper or a Kiss, when the only thing you'd ever seen of them is, is maybe from a magazine, because even then there weren't, other than Don Kirshner's A Midnight Special, there weren't any ways of seeing the bands on TV. So the anticipation of seeing somebody like Kiss live um, was just incredible back then. And, and you know, it's just nowadays people are taking the set list before you even go to the show. So you don't even know what the opening songs are going to be. So it kind of steals the thunder to some degree because of, of, you know, there's so much access to information out there. I mean, I respect the artists nowadays, I think, that are trying to, banned cell phones from recording their performances because yeah. it's just it, to me it's not as fun as it was in the 70s taking a your friend to see well like i said our third kiss show my third kiss show that's when jay it was jay's first show so we rounded up two carloads of kids from Terre Haute, and we didn't have a dime between any of us you know what i mean because we had to you know bum rides off each other we got three cars and we took them up here to the convention center and um, those guys became eventually what would start, start to be the KISS Army. But to be able to bring people like that to their first show, sometimes it's more fun just to sit back and watch their expressions than it is to watch the band, you know, because it was, you just had to be there. 
You know, but yeah, also no. that's the joy of it is when, especially now, because everybody kind of knows each other via social media, you look around in the audience and you kind of know everybody, but like just that ability, it's, it really is, it's the party that we all want to go to. And I think now more than ever, it's why everybody's missing, you know, such a huge part because we're just not able to go to shows. But when you think about, you know, going with your friends like that and piling in together in cars and everything. Everybody's got a good story about the time I went to this show or the time I went to that show and we missed the exit and we had these paper directions and we were driving the wrong way down the turnpike. You know, it's just, I think that's part of it now is that it's still that celebration of the event and boy, do I miss it. Well, our first show, the funny story I like to tell is my dad was supposed to get the tickets through Will Call. And it was cold. It was like this. It was December 8th of 74. And I remember him sitting outside pleading with the lady about the will call tickets because the tickets didn't arrive. And dad didn't know what to do. So he came back to the truck and, and Nutty and he's just, he decided, well, he was going to get in the car and drive to a local. At that time, there was a Kmart, any place that had a record store so that he could find a Kiss album, look at the phone number on the back of the album and see if he couldn't call somebody about where the will call tickets were. Well, this was late on a Sunday. And the funny thing is you couldn't find any kiss albums in a Kmart. And he found that out too. <laughs> he couldn't, he couldn't find them anywhere. And this was late Sunday. So eventually he drove back to the will call window, pleaded with the lady and she was kind hearted enough. She just let us in. And by that oh, time, I think point nice. blank was already done with their first set. And Kiss was going to come on next. So, yeah, we didn't even know. Uh, again, the will call tickets didn't show. And um, the lady felt sorry for us and let us in. And um, who could <laughs> to think? Maybe there wouldn't have been a Kiss Army because of that lady. I, I mean, who knows? But uh, and, and all you youngsters are listening. There were no cell phones back then. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I don't think how my dad could have gotten a hold of people at Casablanca on a Sunday night. Anyhow, it just shocked me. <laughs> I think he felt that he, he, that somebody had messed up. But you know what? Ever since then, we just bought our tickets. I didn't have, I didn't want to mess with that anymore. You know, because, because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, what were tickets back then? Five bucks or something? Oh my so, God, five yeah, bucks! So yeah. first, our first show was uh, they just let us in, let us in free. So, so here's Point Blank, and they're playing, and then Kiss comes out there, and if you can't imagine the shock factor seeing Kiss. And I was even shocked when they opened up with Deuce because Deuce sounds totally different live than it does on the first album. And, and then they just went in from one song to the next and Firehouse was done the way it was done and, and um, Black Diamond and everything. And then we wait when Kiss is done to see ZZ Top. And I think we, we let them play two songs and my dad turned to me and he said, have you seen enough? And I said, well, hell yes. I mean, how do you follow up Kiss was ZZ Top like that. <laughs> and at that time, ZZ Top was, they traded headlining, I think, between the shows. And at that time in Evansville, ZZ Top was the headliner. We didn't let, I mean, ZZ Top played two songs, and I'm, nothing to take away from it, but once you see Kiss and then you run into that, it's just not the same. Yeah, it's a tough act to follow for sure. You, you know, Bill, 
You, you, you uh, recounting that story about the, the tickets not being at will call, it just reminds me of that scene in, in Detroit Rock City where, <laughs> <laughs> you know, Matt, you guys are laughing now, but it, it reminds me of that scene where uh, the four guys, you know, they, they end up at, at the arena empty-handed and uh, <laughs> they, they come up with this idea to beat that crap out of each other and, and, and say, hey, those guys rip off our tickets. That's, it just reminded me of that scene. And, and it's funny because I've been watching that movie. Um, I watched it a couple of weeks ago and I'm like, <laughs> I love it. It's so funny, especially the scene where they're on the road and, um, you know, the one guy throws the pizza and, and they, <laughs> Well, and, and the whole, the, everything about that with disco music and the, the vibe um, with, with the, the, the mother that didn't like the band and all that. Of course, with us, disco didn't come out until a few years later. So in 74, 75, disco wasn't around. So we didn't have mm. to, you know, there wasn't, that was the factor. And really the religious fervor against the band didn't come until even later than that, like 78, 79. Um, Kiss was dark and mysterious enough on their own just by showing somebody their album cover mm. so that they, that was enough just alone to get people to talk now so, you, you, yeah you, Rock well, city was very similar you you mentioned um you know that disco did not have an impact on them in 74 and 75 just out of curiosity when, when punk came on the scene saying what 77 78 what what kind of impact did that genre of music have on kiss um, I don't know that it had that much of an impact on Kiss, but it would divide people musically because, uh, um, you know, there were some some classic rock people that were really offended by by the new wave movement. But to me, that's what new wave was intended was trying to intend to do, mm -hmm. which was shake everybody up, and that was the good thing about it. See, and that's another thing about people laugh and say, "Well, why did you go away from the band in the '80s?" Well. It was really tough for me once they took their makeup off and all that. But you got to remember what was happening during the 80s. It was MTV. Mm. You had Michael Jackson, Prince, Bruce Springsteen. You had some monumental people up there that were pretty much taking all your interests away from things. And plus with MTV, Kiss really wasn't an MTV band, which was no. kind of funny. Kiss came before MTV, which to me, Kiss could have been a great MTV band with the visuals and all but they came too early. So the whole eighties for me was just a different era musically. And you know, new wave was in there as somewhat as well. You know, it's funny, isn't it ironic that kiss being probably the most visual band ever got ignored by MTV when they had the makeup and the costumes and then became a staple of MTV when they took the makeup <laughs> off, you know, really that, that unmasking, I think somewhere on some Rolling Stone list or whatever, that was like in the top 10 of greatest MTV moments ever. And when you think about it, it's one of those events that happened on MTV that is replayed all the time and really was such a pivotal time for kiss but yet it's because they took the makeup off it's crazy and see i kind of felt betrayed because in the 70s when i was able to hang out with the band after a show we realized that we were privileged to be hanging out with the band without their makeup on because they that was a uh you know one of those things that we all took seriously i had a fan not too long ago asked me on facebook he said uh, did you guys ever have a hankering to take a picture and we said oh no 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 we were thrilled to even be there and i, I want to thank you know mr john hart for letting me in at least a couple of those shows 
Well, John, hey, just, John, you know, that's John, right. I said, he, I said, uh, he said, if you guys just mind your business, you can go up and take five people with you. And I ran into an old friend the other day and he's, his little brother was one of the people that was with us. And he says, you know, my little brother still talks about what, what a cool thing it was to sit there in the governor's suite in Indianapolis talking to Peter, Chris and his wife and, and um, seeing kids without their makeup off. Because back in those days, hey, it was like an audience with the Pope, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious, man. You know, thinking back to those really early days, what do you have any kind of memorabilia in your own collection that would be super rare or things that like I mean, it's funny, I saw a picture the other day of like a kiss ring that was one of the first ever merchandise pieces and I think it's sold on Kiss Museum for like 450 bucks or something like that and what kind of things do you have much left as far as memorabilia? Um, the only thing that I have, I would think it would be somewhat rare is I've got a, a few guitar picks from 76, um, a backstage pass from 76. I got a lot of backstage passes from the seventies. Um, some bootleg t-shirts, the original t-shirts. Um, but see the first, the funny thing, like you say about that ring, I don't know when that ring came about because I was on the mailing list for Boutwell Enterprises as soon as it came out because eventually that's how I found out that the Kiss Army wasn't going to be in Gerald and I was going to have to go back to the unemployment line. <laughs> so I was getting merch from Boutwell. So I had gotten most of everything that they put out. And, it, and at that time, the cool thing about it was Kiss gave me whatever. I, I mean, they gave, they just said, whatever you want, just let us know. If you want like 10 membership kits, you got it. And then what I would do is I would pass them out to people that I felt deserved it and or like radio station people that I thought down the road would eventually help me with, you know, maybe getting a KISS promotion through or something like that. So so there wasn't a whole lot of merch out other than maybe the original poster, the first t-shirt, the first tour book. I have all those things, but those aren't something that that's that's uh, that's unusual. Now, People tease me about the KISS plaque. I did an interview with that, uh, a couple of guys not too long ago, and they were asking me to see the plaque and all that. I said, yeah, the plaque is pretty cool. But I said, um, that's not something I'd part with. And I think it's funny because anybody would want it because it's got my name on it. And um, most people know that um, that those plaques were, those were cool. But, but I, I'm not like the only one that's ever got a plaque because uh, the people in Cadillac got one. I think the mayor and a few people that, did a lot of things. Jim Neff may have gotten one, the Cadillac High Coach. So mm -hmm. those plaques aren't that rare. The thing that really kind of bothers me is that Kiss gave a, a bigger plaque to Terre Haute when I got mine, and to this day, we don't know who has it. Oh. It, it's gone. It's gone. Wow. Yes. And it was, I'm not saying it was better than mine, can't be, but, but it was different compared to the traditional size of it. But um, there's a picture, I think, also that Waring Abbott took of Rich Dickerson getting, uh, accepting the uh, plaque for the city. And then I think Holman Center had it in a display case. And a lot of the things that were in the Holman Center display case, believe it or not, there's a lot of history to Holman Center because that's where Larry Bird had all this college games. So a lot of Larry Bird memorabilia, Indiana State, when they made it to the finals in the NCAA. There's some interesting historical artifacts in Holman Center's trophy cases, but somehow the KISS plaque is gone. And I think they got tired of me badgering them about it because every time they get a new director, I'd say, hey, this is who I am and 
this is my place in history. Do you have any idea what happened to the plaque? Well, they never would tell me flat out until I found out from somebody else that they don't know. It's gone. So I don't imagine oh, wow. it hasn't showed up on eBay. So <laughs> can you imagine that though? But it's, it's a pretty nice thing to have. Well, in your plaque, I mean, that's something that I think as fans, we would argue should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame or something that, you know, has the this, this significance as, as the creator, really, of the KISS Army. Like you said, your plaque, there's not one better. You know, it really, it's, uh, it's something that really has a significance. And I will tell you right now that you said that, that if, to me, the whole KISS Army story is not as much about KISS as much as about just rock and roll fans in general. You know, you got the, the deadheads, you got the parrot heads, the Kiss Army. To me, the Kiss Army is like the ultimate name for a fan club of any rock group anywhere. It should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And if, I'll say this right here, if they would happen to want to put up a display in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame with the Kiss Army, they could have the plaque and whatever things memorabilia I had to pretty much, you know, as a monument to the band. Because I don't think that Terre Haute's ever going to do anything. So if the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame were to do a Kiss Army exhibit, give me a call. We could work something out. So <laughs> I, I, I really, truly would like to see, and I know some fans are really got a real hard on about the Kiss, Kiss uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That's fine and whatever, and they want to bring politics in it. That's fine too, but whatever. But, but if, I would not have a problem with a Kiss Army exhibit being in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You need to talk to your Terre Haute uh, Travel Bureau there the same way Cadillac has that nice kiss tour. You know, even though like the, the Cadillac one has all the landmarks and they go around, you know, uh, does that radio station, does that little building still exist? Can we all go there? Uh, the funny thing is, if, and if you ever want to message me on Facebook, I can send you a picture. That radio station was a ranch house in West Terre Haute, Indiana. If you saw it today, you wouldn't believe it. It's somebody's home. And it still is somebody's home. And a matter of fact, I think you can go on YouTube and see there was a situation when uh, Channel 10 in Terre Haute did the 35th anniversary of the Kiss Army. I took them out to that radio station and they interviewed the owners. And it was real funny to talk to the people because the guy that lived there said he remembered when Kiss came there, it went down to the basement and, and were disc jockeys. And, of course, they took my picture out there in front of a fire truck and all that outside, and those are also pictures up there. But the guy that I talked to, it was funny, he said, to this day, he's an Aerosmith fan. But he remembers, <laughs> he remembers when Kiss was in that home, and this is the home he has. So I showed them pictures of the basement of the radio station with the ceiling tiles and everything, and that lit, his wife said, you know, that, that is our basement. And I said, yeah. I said, your basement used to have Kiss in it. <laughs> um, Bill, I wanted to ask you, uh, with regards to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, how do you personally feel about them not making it in until much later into their well, career? Well, I do think it was awful. Disgust. I mean, I, there's not enough words I can say. To me, it makes the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It taints their image the way the band was treated and the, the whole – and then there's a politics to it involved, but, but it's more not about the government politics. It's just like, you know, certain people keeping, uh, having um, petty, uh, I don't know how the word I'm looking for, just, it was just, it did, to me it made, I'm glad that KISS accepted. To me, they, they were the better people because they went forward and went through with it. But 
I think the fact that it took so long and how it was done, it tainted the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It made them, made them look uh, a lot less, I don't know, reputable than they should have been because um, we fans knew what was going on. And we, we could see the, the inconsistencies, how this, this act would be treated this way and that, that act would be treated a different way. You can't deny the, the – even if you don't like the band – you can't deny what KISS has done to the culture and just rock and roll in general. I mean, people pick, kids picked up guitars because of KISS. I mean, whether or not you liked them or didn't or whatever, you can't deny that the influence that the band had on so many things as far as American culture. I mean, I, I was watching not too long ago, they had a thing on the Jeopardy. And, and the KISS Army was one of the questions on Jeopardy. There's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a couple Simpsons episodes when they talk about the Kiss Army. So you can't deny the impact that the band has had on American culture. So they should have been in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame a lot, lot sooner, of course. But to me, it made the, the hall look bad that they drug their feet so long to do it. And then it had to take such an uprising to finally get it. But to me, Kiss handled it the classy way. They did. They showed up. I, should they have played together? Yeah, they should have, but I can understand reasons why they didn't want to play together because you just don't know, you know, how that's going to come out. Um, but at least the band did what I thought was the right thing, which is they showed up. Tom Morello gave a great, a great speech, and it went as well as it could go for, for us. They did it for, for us. To me, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, look, they look like a bunch of jackasses for how long it took and, and just who they put in and who they don't put in. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, John, you and I, you and I talk so often about this, about, you know, all the naysayers out there that, you know, even if you're not a KISS fan, just realizing that, you know, 40 some odd years later, they got to be doing something right. Oh, yeah. I know? mean, I, I, run at, I run into run into that with the listeners of the show over in Ireland. Bill, I don't know if you're aware of it, but the, a lot of my listeners, if not most of my listeners to the show and i won't say my listeners was candies and my listeners i also do another show uh with a, a gentleman over in ireland and um there's a lot of purist snobs out there and, and they will look down on kiss like they're dirt i'm like okay well they're here they're doing it for 45 years they're doing something right so you, you can't deny the fact that they're at least they're doing something right and for me like i said um it took me a long time to get back into KISS. And Matt, you, you know, when, when I first met you and I started doing a show on, on Monaco, it was, I would spend a lot of time in your office and I'm looking at that poster and I'm looking at that poster. I'm like, I'm like damn, you know, maybe I should have a list to it. And I, th I can't remember what you play. It was probably Detroit Rock City to get me back in. And it, for me, it's music uh, with Ki like KISS or whatnot. It's, it's a light switch moment. It's like flick. Boom. I'm like, okay, what have I been missing for 40-something <laughs> years? I had the same thing with Led Zeppelin, but that was like maybe 15 years ago. Hated Led Zeppelin. I could not stand it. And then all of a sudden I was, you know, 15 years ago, I, I can't remember what kind of pushed me to like Led Zeppelin, but it must have been stuff that was coming out of the radio that I did not like. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, <laughs> these guys sound good. And, and, and you mentioned earlier, you were talking about, um, you know, the 1980s. I was one of those new wavers. Uh, I love the new wave, you know, uh, uh, a lot of, a lot of, I listened to a lot of it because it reminds me of my youth. I 
I was in the Navy back in the, in the 80s, so it was, I always associate music with events that, that I experienced when I was in the Navy. Um, but unfortunately, KISS wasn't part of it, but it is now, you know, and, and, and I'm, I always kind of regret like, oh, all this time that I lost, but you know what, I'm making up for it. <laughs> you could have been the leader of the KISS Navy, John. <laughs> the, the KISS Navy. Yeah, at, at Admiral John. <laughs> Again, the fact that there is a KISS Navy just shows you that this is more than just a music thing. This is a cultural thing, and it just mm -hmm. is yeah. far encompassing. And, um, you know, I, I, unfortunately, I think the merchandising is probably what, why some snobs come after the band and all that. But uh, like I said, how many people picked up a guitar because of uh, these guys? Really, you know, and, yeah. And, and, yeah, and I'm a big guitar collector myself, and... Um, you just can't deny the impact they've made on, on American culture. You know, my, my brother actually uh, picked up a guitar. My brother's a very accomplished guitarist. Um, he was influenced in the early days by Ace Frehley, so. And you know what's funny is Ace, before I met the band, Ace was actually my favorite member. And it was funny because Gene ident or Jay identified with Gene because Jay just had this hilarious sense of humor, you know, because matter of fact, our first show on the floor jay insisted that we stand by gene's side of the stage you know well that was amazing enough because we were like nine rows back and the the noise was so bad i wouldn't say the noise the volume was so was loud that the next day here's jay and i going to our lockers and jay jay's had this hilarious sense here jay goes can you hear and i said god no i can't and jay starts laughing i'm like it's not funny. <laughs> I can't hear, you know? I mean, and that's the way it was that day at school. And we were like 15 and 18. Now, I think they believe Jay's wearing hearing aids. My hearing's fine. I don't know how. But, you know, <laughs> but, you know so, so, you know, they were incredibly loud back then. But I, I identified with Ace. And I didn't meet Ace till maybe last summer. And when he came here to Terre Haute, it played like a state fair thing. And um, it was just kind of surreal. It had taken me that long to meet Ace. And um, did it mean anything to Ace? I don't know. I think I was just another schmo to him. But <laughs> it, it was cool for me to get something autographed. So, but yeah, yeah I mean, uh, I identified with Ace in the beginning. All right, guys. So let's take a quick break here. We'll go to one more song maybe and then come back for a little bit longer and continue our round table here with Bill Starkey. Stay tuned. Woo!
right, Kiss Army, welcome back. We are joined here once again on Candy's Kiss Corner by Matt Porter, John Weinberger, and General Bill Starkey. Having a great time so far. How are you guys doing so far? I'm doing great. I'm having a blast. If I was any better, I'd be twins. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Bill Starkey, uh, always a pleasure talking to you. Um, Thank you. So we are kind of running out of time here. I think we got, what, about 10, 15 minutes left. Is there anything last minute that you want to share with us or maybe share with your KISS Army friends, fans, listening around the planet? I know I pulled a Matt Porter when I asked that. So Well, here's what I'll say. I remember one of Matt's better segments is when he did a thing with um, J.R. Smalling. And, and J.R. Yes. passed away this year. And I had my first meeting with J.R. was, was very funny. And what well, I had no idea what what to expect. And um, we were in the studio at WBTS, and um, he gave me a card, and he says, "I want you to call this number, and I want you to round up as many women as you possibly can." And I'm like, "What do you mean?" I mean, this is a guy who was who couldn't get a date for the junior or senior prom, and he's oh. wanting me to round up a harem for Kiss. And Jr. was a very imposing guy. It was kind of hard hard to tell him no, you know, so I go home and um, what happens was uh, the number was he was supposed to tell me where the kiss after party was. And um, I was telling Jay, I said, I said, you know what he asked me to do? He said, he, he wanted me to round up women. I said, like, go up and down Wabash Avenue or something, you know? And Jay says, I don't know. He goes, last thing on our mind was, was the after party because we, we were just waiting for the show. I had no idea that They'd call me up on stage and I'd get a plaque or anything, you know. Um, I, I just, that whole day was just a blur. So later on, the after party was at the, um, was at an old pizza place, which was across the street from the Sheridan where Kiss stayed. And I believe one of the disc jockeys, this is just my theory, that one of the disc jockeys who I know who I won't name, um, got <laughs> some of the girls from St. Mary's of the Woods College, a private Catholic school school girls uh, college to come and um, hang out at the after party with the band. But I think they all s stayed together like frightened sheep in a corner when Kiss came into the room. I, I, I uh, don't want to credit myself, but I think that's probably the only time Kiss never got laid or something. Because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, didn't do my job as far as um, bringing in the chicks and um I just was so so caught off guard by that, and, and uh, who knows? Maybe that's why I never worked for the band, uh, and the Kiss Army was never in Tarot. I don't. Know. I mean, I should, that was part of the job prerequisite or something. Was round up the babes for the Kiss after party. Well, wouldn't it be easy if I could round one up for myself? Maybe you know. <laughs> um, I love it. I mean, it's not like I was that kind of a guy personality wise, and Jay wasn't either. I mean, we were Kiss geeks. I mean, and we were proud of it. I mean, because. That was the kind of crowd most of us identified with the band with, you know. So, yeah, that's my my Jr. story, you know. And um, I, you know, it's just my good memory of him. And and you know, like I said, he was pretty forceful. And he said, you know, you're gonna do this, and you're gonna get these. He says, I don't care what you have to do if you have to go up and down the street. And I'm like, I just can't couldn't imagine now. Now today could have I done it? Yo, yeah. But at 18, no, I I, I was clueless. I just you know, it was all something new to me. But yeah, of course, I'm 63 now. But so, you know, that's through life's experiences, you learn that kind of stuff. So 
If they find you rounding up girls today, you're going to be in a lot of trouble, Bill. Yeah, because it probably wouldn't look good in that. On my teacher's license, you know, <laughs> probably there would that probably one be be one teacher who'd be on the front page of the paper or something, and they'd love that. <laughs> um, Matt, uh, you also had, and we talked about this before on the show. Um, your interactions with Jr. and and his work with Alive seventy five. Talk about that for a sec. Yeah, you know, we've talked about it. Obviously, I was just very fortunate to get to know him through my work with Alive 75, and they had they had hooked up. Anthony DeLucia, who's the Gene Simmons of Alive 75, really he does everything top-notch. And when they wanted to have JR do the intro to the show, they connected with him, and he was coming to the to the shows, and we would do these Q&A bits and things like that. And, and JR actually was in the Monaco Radio Studio along with Len D'Alessio and the Alive 75 group and Lydia Chris on the one night. And, you know, we had the best time. And I really, you know, I was very sad when he passed away this year. And, uh, and certainly I have some good memories and was able to work with him. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's something that I will always kind of think of very fondly. I know. I, I regret not going to uh, to that Alive 70 show, this uh, 75 show, rather, this past year. Um, you know, mom duties kind of prevented me from, you know, hopping a plane and getting down there to Monco. So it's, it's really a shame. That last Sherman Theater show in December, mm-hmm. you know, really may have been the last time that JR said you wanted the best, you got the best. I mean, because that was December. And then... Uh, you know, then the snap and the whole world changed. And so it's just, uh, you know, yeah, I, I have that on video. And I, I really am kind of thrilled about that. And yeah. you beaming with excitement, Matt. I'll never forget that look on your face, you know, interviewing JR. You were just in your element day. You know, anytime you pack a room with that many cool Kiss fans that are screaming and having the best time ever with a band of the kind of quality, a live 75 is the best and they do everything right. And then to be able to be up in front of everybody and, and do that, you know, it, it's really it's something I'm, I'm thrilled that I have been able to do. So Nice. All right. We'll tell you what, guys, we are running out of time here. We're going to go around the table and give everyone a chance to uh, share some last minute thoughts. Uh, John, what's on your mind, brother? Well, um, <laughs> that's kind of a loaded question. Well, I, <laughs> I, um, I'm having a great time on my vacation prior to uh, going back to school. Uh, I'm loving being able to work with you, Kenny, and and also with you, Matt, and just uh, talking about KISS. And Bill, thank you so much. Uh, I never had a chance to speak to you before, but I I do hope we get a chance to speak again. Um, I want to give a shout-out to – I think I want to give a shout out to Gene Simmons uh, because I know he's a big supporter of the military and uh, you know, the things that he does for the troops. Um, I think one of the things that cemented my affiliation for, for kiss and especially for Gene, although I am the underdogs fan, you know, ACE, I think he's the underdog. Uh, that, that time when uh, Gene spoke at the Pentagon about his mom, and he he couldn't get 30 seconds without starting to choke up. It kind of resonated with me because it reminds me of when my mom passed away. And I, to quote a phrase, I felt his pain. But um, enough about me. I, I'm just I'm just having a great time uh, just getting involved with Kiss again, even on the level that we're doing now. It's just great. Matt, 
the host of the most from the kiss room. Any last minute thoughts you want to share with your friends? Look, I'm just thrilled that we can all get together like this. Mm -hmm. It's an honor to talk to someone like Bill Starkey who has so many great stories as just as a fan and a listener. If I was listening to this conversation, I'd be thrilled. Just happy to be part of it to share joy with John and you candy on your birthday. So glad we could do this. (laughs) Bill, your stories make me smile. They're just Mm. so kind of right on. They feel nostalgic. And yet it's, it's the heart of being a Kiss fan. And uh, I really, I've really enjoyed this. So I'm glad that we could all be together. And uh, thanks to everybody who's listened to Monaco Radio and Villanova Radio. Bill Starkey, always a pleasure. Uh, so happy to have you here celebrating my milestone birthday. Uh, do you have any last minute thoughts you want to share with your friends listening? I just want to say happy birthday to you. I'm a big fan of Matt and his show. And uh, it's just a thrill to still continue to be able to hash up this old kiss stuff 45 years <laughs> later and people still care about it. So um, it's just as exciting for me as it has been for some of you guys, I'm sure. Oh, well, we really appreciate that. Uh, well, guys, that's uh, brings us to the end of this week's segment. I'm sad to say, but uh, join us again next week. We will have another killer playlist and some more kiss talk to uh, for your listening pleasure. So thanks again so much for joining us. Uh, gentlemen, again, always a pleasure. Our listeners, thank you so much for your support, and we will see you next week. Woo! Drop
Kiss Army. Thank you for listening to this bonus edition of the Kiss Room featuring Time Bomb Radio, which features Candy's Kiss Corner. You can listen to Time Bomb Radio every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, broadcasting via MontcoRadio.com and WXVU, the voice of Villanova. Thanks to John and Candy and the great Bill Starkey for letting me be part of this conversation, and thanks to you for listening. I'd love to hear your feedback on the show. You can join us in the Kiss Room Facebook group, or you can email me at thekissroom at gmail.com. Keep smiling, stay safe, keep rocking, and meet, meet me in the Kiss Room. You have been one hell of an audience tonight. Why don't you give yourselves a round of applause? I'll tell you something. You know, a lot of bands like to brag about their fans. Now, naturally, you better believe we brag about you, but we want you to know something. We want you to know, we know that you are our fans, but don't you ever forget, we are your fans, we love you! Thank you for listening to The Kiss Room. Stay tuned to Montco Radio. last minute crazy things you want to say to conform with expectations no but i will say something to anybody out there that's you know the weird guy or the weird girl that always has the weird things that they do that their friends put them down for don't think it's so weird maybe someday somebody will let you give you the chance to make a living out of it you just stick to it you'd be weird <laughs>